0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 20. That is page 992 in your Black Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 20. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb, and with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and looked and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.
1: Matthew chapter 28. This is uh, the first gospel, and it is um, written by Matthew the Apostle former tax collector and the purpose of this gospel is to prove that to the Jews who he's writing to that Jesus is indeed the Messiah and we see in Matthew starting in chapter 4 Jesus has called the disciples to himself and for three years they're being taught by Jesus who he was and what he could do but they had seen him be arrested and crucified on Friday They'd seen his body being buried by Joseph of Arimathea in his own new tomb. And we just celebrated Good Friday, and Good Friday is, is solemn, isn't it? If you were here, we had a Good Friday service. We call it, it's a tenebrae service here on um, Friday night. is a solemn occasion, and we focused on the cross, and, and it's called Good Friday. And that's interesting, isn't it? But Friday... Good Friday, we celebrate Jesus being nailed to the cross and his body bruised and his blood shed. He dies on Friday. He's buried in a tomb, and we celebrate that on Friday. But Friday is only good because Sunday was coming. Without Sunday, Good Friday is just Friday. In fact, Jesus' death means that Jesus failed we say Jesus is dead, it means that Jesus lied. Jesus dead means he was a fraud. But the four gospel accounts, however, do not end with the lifeless body of Jesus lying in a tomb. He rose. And it's the resurrection of Christ that makes the gospel the gospel. The resurrection makes the good news, good. The tomb is empty. The Lord has risen. His word is true. His promises are kept. His death, satisfactory. His atonement, complete. His obedience, perfect. His service, acceptable. His victory, complete. So this chapter, Matthew 28, is... What we're going to study today, it's Easter, it's V-Day for the church. And so let's read chapter 27, verse 62 through 66, just to kind of set the context. Jesus has been buried at this point. Let's read together. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So these religious leaders requested that the tomb be made secure. So Pilate sealed it, and he sealed it by either pressing wax or clay between the stone, and then using his um, imperial insignia, stamping it. And and this is something we've seen before. Do you remember Daniel, the story of Daniel and the Lion's Den? Darius, the emperor, he reluctantly had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with a signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So we see this before. So the tomb is sealed. It's, it's marked with usually like a ring, as an insignia, to signify that this shouldn't be tampered with. And so not only is the stone sealed, but the, a guard is posted. So the religious leaders, they had heard about Jesus' prophecy, his proclamation that he's going to die, but on the third day he's going to rise from the grave. And so they want to ensure that that story doesn't get circulated. Okay, so that's kind of the context of Matthew chapter 28. So the first thing we, we learn from this text, verses 1 through 10, is that nothing could hold Jesus in the grave. Matthew writes that the two Marys came to the tomb on Sunday morning, dawn of the first day of the week. And and what happens is an earthquake takes place. And simultaneous with that earthquake, the stone is rolled away by an angel. And if you read the, the four accounts, the gospel accounts of the resurrection, every gospel writer records this most important part of the life of Jesus, the resurrection. If you read all of those accounts, they agree on the main points but differ on the details. They don't disagree, but they have different emphasis. And some say, well, this discredits or invalidates the resurrection. It can't be true. All the stories don't line up exactly. Well, I I want to tell you that each writer under the influence of the Holy Spirit wrote their own version of what took place, and they penned what was most important for their specific audience. For instance, our church, we have a flag football team. It's 12 through 14-year-olds, and our, we're the Titans, and we play uh, Saturday at 1 o'clock at Valentine Park, and we have a good time with that. And there's four of us men who help with that. And if you ask me, well, tell me yesterday about the football game. Well, I might go into telling you about this story. I'll, I'll give you the gist of what happened. But then I might give you some details, you know, depending on who you are and if you ask Morgan who helps coach that he would tell you kind of the gist of what happened and and, but details might be different Charles who also helps with that and Brian who helps with that you ask us they'll tell you the gist of what happened but then the details might be a little bit different now that doesn't mean that we're not telling the truth coming from different perspectives and it also may be different depending on who's asking the question so if Pam is, is, is asking the question about the football game and, and her son's play and she couldn't be there and she asked about the football game, I might tell her the gist of what happened, but I might throw in there something about Chase and Carson and what they did in the ball game. But if another player, their grandmother, asked me about the game, well, I might tell them the gist of it, but I might mention something about their grandson and what he did in the game depending on the one asking the question. Gospel writers, much the same way. So don't let the different details cause you to doubt the truth of the resurrection. And some of you have been reading through that as we gave you a reading plan of the Passion Week. Some of those those accounts are a little bit different. Notice that there is now more than one guard on duty. In chapter 27, verse 66, there was only one, but now there's... Uh, There's more. But I want to focus just a moment on, on Jesus. Now, Jesus was different from anyone else in who he was. Think about Christ. He was different from anyone else in the perfection of his life. He was holy and perfect, obeying the law perfectly, never once sinning. Jesus was different from anyone else in his compassion as he touched the leper and made the leper clean. Jesus was different from anyone else in that he was merciful to the woman caught in adultery, but yet he says, go and sin no more. Jesus was different from anyone else in his victory over sin and Satan, as Satan met him in the wilderness through everything he could at him, but yet Jesus sinned not. Jesus was different from anyone else in the way he taught. He left folks in awe, unlike me, who might leave you asleep. Jesus was different from everyone else. He willingly died, even though he was innocent. Jesus was different from anyone else in that he didn't stay in the grave. The tomb couldn't hold him. Death could not hold him. Jesus was different. From anyone else and that he died rose never to die again so try as they might the religious leaders could not keep Jesus in the tomb they might make it secure they might seal it they might set a guard but neither they nor anyone else could imprison the Lord of life and keep him there and in fact what happened here in verses 1 through 10 had been what Jesus was saying was going to happen all along. And he mentions this several times in, in this gospel on Matthew and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit recorded three different times. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. This is after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We see it again after the transfiguration. Chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will be killed. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. This is the second time. And the third time in, in chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. And the religious leaders, with the help of Pilate, tried to keep Jesus in the tomb, but to no avail. After the resurrection, after the ascension of Christ, Peter spoke of this in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 22-24. through 24. Men of Israel, Peter says, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for him to be held by it. And why is that? Because Jesus, as Matthew is trying to show his readers, Jesus is the Messiah. And nothing can deter the God of the universe. Nothing can hold the God of the universe back from living. See, Jesus, when when he rose from the grave, he didn't become the Messiah as a result of the resurrection. He was vindicated through the resurrection for sure. But death, the grave, couldn't hold him because he was the Messiah, the Holy One, who could not, would not see corruption, as Psalm 16 tells us. So, nothing, no one could keep the Messiah in the tomb. He rose from the dead just as he said he would do. Second thing we learn from our text in verses 11 through 15 is there's been a cover up, there's been cover up schemes and denials of Jesus' resurrection since it first happened. So, what happens in 11 verse, verses 11 through 15 is the guards went into the city as, as the women are headed towards the disciples, to tell them to meet Jesus in Galilee. Meet the risen Lord. Jesus, the risen Lord, wants his disciples to meet them in Galilee. As they're going to meet the disciples, these guards went into the city and they told the chief priest all that had taken place, the earthquake, the angels. Jesus isn't there. How did the chief priest respond? It's interesting. They didn't even scold them. They didn't punish them. We see other incidences in Scripture where guards allow prisoners to escape. They lost their lives. The most famous story, you remember the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching, and there's an earthquake, and they... The the doors of the jails swing open, and the Philippian jailer, when he saw that, he thought thought all the prisoners had escaped. And what was he about to do? He was about to fall on his own sword. Why? Because that's what's going to happen to him if he let prisoners escape. But it's interesting here. They do no such thing. They don't punish the guards. They don't even question the guards or or look into see if what they said was true. What they did is they bribed them, gave them money, and told them to lie. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So what they do? They took the money and did did as they were directed. And it says that this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now folks, come up with all kind of explanations in regard to the resurrection. Most skeptics... They don't question whether Jesus was an actual living Jew who lived during the days of Palestine. That's a given. But what about this resurrection? Well, several theories have been proposed. I'll give you a couple of them really quickly. One is the swoon theory. Now, this theory states that Jesus actually on the cross didn't die. And then when they laid him into the, the cool damp tomb, that revived him. It it gave him kind of made him better, just being in that cool environment. And somehow he he got out of his linen, linen garments that they had wrapped him in. He pushed uh, the stone away, fought off the guards, and shortly thereafter appeared to his disciples, saying that he rose from the dead. Now, why is this theory bogus? Well, think about it on the cross, they didn't break Jesus' legs because he was already dead. You think, well, they could have made a mistake, but these guys are pretty pretty well professional executioners. That's what they do day in and day out. They had a lot of practice. But not only that, but you remember they took the spear and put it in the side, and water and blood flowed. And you think about the scourging and the beatings and the, the crucifixion and the spear in the side, I am doubt that he would have the energy to do all that this theory proposes. The second theory is the hallucination theory. This serious, they say that all the that Christ post resurrection appearances weren't were only supposed appearances. In fact, these people had, had been hallucinating. Well that sounds kind of bizarre, but I included in our worship guide there's several of my favorite resurrection quotes And one of those is by Lee Strobel, who wrote A Case for Christ. And he writes, I went to a psychologist, friend of mine, and said if 500 people, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to, at one time, 500 people together at one time. He says, and I asked this psychologist, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, could it be a hallucination? And this psychologist says... Hallucinations are individual events. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. The embellishment theory is another theory. And this theory states that the story about Jesus has just been embellished and growing over time. See, Jesus was just a simple teacher, and his disciples just exaggerated Jesus' accomplishments, so much so that it kind of grew over the years into this legend that it is today. Well, why is this theory not possible? Well, because there's not enough time for this to happen. In fact, Paul's first letter that we're studying on Wednesday nights, 1 Thessalonians, was written about 51 AD, 50 or 51 AD, which is about 20 years after Jesus was crucified. So there wasn't time for this legend to, to grow. Moreover, legends, they don't produce what was produced at Pentecost. They don't change the lives of the disciples. They don't convert Saul and they don't produce an empty tomb. Another theory, finally, is a theft theory. That's the theory that disciples actually stole the body. Now, think about this. The religious elite, they had the stone sealed, and they had the tomb guarded. So from their point of view, all was well. They had taken care to deal with every attempt the disciples made to empty the tomb and start this story, this fabrication of this resurrection. Leon Morris, in his commentary on Matthew, he writes this, "...the precautions of his enemies would underline the truth of his resurrection. It is not without interest that after all their precautions to ensure that the body was not stolen, in the event that they themselves spread reports that that had indeed happened, they said that the disciples had stolen the body." What they were guarding against by having Pilate seal the tomb and post guards, they actually, in the end, promoted. They promoted the lie that Jesus' body was stolen by the disciples. So a lot of theories going on. But I believe, and I'll encourage you to believe, that the Bible is true and Jesus rose on the third day. Do you believe that to be true? Thirdly, Verse sixteen through twenty, the resurrection of, of Jesus empowers the disciples to make disciples. The disciples they make their way to Galilee. Verse sixteen, just as Jesus had told the ladies, the women that had seen him, and they go to Galilee. And what do they do? It's verse verse seventeen. They worshipped him. If I were you, I would circle verse seventeen and verse. Nine. both of these incidences where the women meet the resurrected Lord, what do they do? They worship him. And here we see the disciples when they first see him, they worshiped him as well. And he tells them that all authority has been given to him. Well, think about that. He, rose, he just rose from the dead. He has authority because he's God. And Jesus gives them the great commission to go and make disciples everywhere. And that's why we, as a church, we pray that our children, that God will raise up children and our students and some of our families to go and take the gospel to -to hard-to-reach places. And we we pray that that would happen. And we pray that our missionaries that we support, that we send money to support, that they'll be faithful in sharing the gospel and teaching the word in hard-to-reach places. And that's why we're praying and asking that each of us be interruptible in our daily lives, our own sphere of influence, that we, too, can be faithful to share the gospel because... Jesus has rose from the dead, and that motivates us to make disciples. They're told to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. See, without the resurrection, there's no great commission. The resurrection makes evangelism possible and probable. You think about the promises in the Old Old Testament, the promises of the New Covenant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell us a new covenant's coming, and he gives us all these wonderful things that the New Covenant's going to entail. And we see some of that coming to fruition here. He says, go and make disciples, in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus promises to be with his disciples and to help them and enable them and empower them Think about the the disciples they see Jesus being arrested and they what do they do they flee We see Peter in the courtyard denying Jesus three times You see these cowards timid afraid Jesus Has risen, he appears to the disciples, he ascends into heaven, and then you have the book of Acts, the history of the church. And what do you see? You don't see timidity, you see courage, empowered bravery as disciples risk their lives time and time again to propagate the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection. We see this drastic change in the disciples. And so just by way of application, I want to ask you a question. Has there been this change in you where you're unconcerned, unwilling to share the good news of Jesus and then now you're committed to propagating the good news of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ motivates us to obey Him, to spread His fame, to tell of All he's done for us in Jesus. Has a resurrection made a difference in your life? I'll ask a couple more questions just by way of application. Think about when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Back in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember? He tempts him with several different things. And one of the things he tempts him with verse 8. And 10, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Satan tempting Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He responds, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, worship is to have God as his object. But notice what happens is the risen Christ reveals himself to the women. What do they do? They worship. And the disciples, the first time they see him, what do they do? They worship because he's God. Jesus didn't deter them from worshiping him. Think about the the triumphal entry as Jesus enters into Jerusalem and they start singing. And and up to this point, unless he's in a Samaritan area or with with Gentiles only, anytime someone wants to sing his praises, the demons want to shout and tell everybody who he is. He's like, shh, forbids them. But the triumphal entry, his time had come, and so what does he do? He allows them to sing praises to him, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying down cloaks and palm branches, treating him like a king. And here he's resurrected and he meets the women and he meets the disciples and they worship him and he does not deter them because that's what you do when you encounter the risen Christ. And so my question for you, for me, do, do we worship him? Are you a worshiper of the risen Christ? Maybe I should ask, do you believe in the resurrected Jesus as we're told in Scripture? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you don't embrace the resurrection, do you know God won't embrace you? You say, well, this is elementary. Yeah, Jesus died and He he rose from the dead, but do you embrace that? Do you trust that Christ did that, not only on the cross for you, but was resurrected for you? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth, this is Paul, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified with the mouth one confesses and are saved. So I think the opposite could also be true. If you don't believe God raised him from the dead, you won't be saved. So my... Admonition for you, my encouragement, is if you've never yielded to Christ, acknowledge that you're a sinner, acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He did that for you. He was buried in a tomb, and he was resurrected on the third day for you, and you've bowed the knee to Christ, trusting that, that, that Christ and Christ's sacrificial atonement, his sacrifice, his resurrection was for you and is sufficient for you. I want to encourage you to do just that. That's how we're saved. Coming to the end of ourselves, acknowledging our sin. Just as the ladies did, they, they bowed and they fell at his feet and that's what we do. We, we, we bow in reverence to the, the Savior who not only died but who rose from the dead. Have you done that today? I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord And ask Him to save you and to forgive you. Recognizing that Christ and Christ alone can save. What about us as believers? Maybe you're here and you're a believer. What do we do with this text? How do we apply it? Well, Christ died for our sins. He was raised, the Bible says, for our justification. So we should be motivated to make disciples. We've encountered the risen Christ We worship Him and we make disciples. And we do that because He's our hope. Because of Christ's death, as we trust Him, it's as if we died. We died with Him. And when He was raised, we were raised with Him. And so what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. What's going to hinder us from being with him forever in glory? Nothing. And that's our hope. Do you have hope in Christ? Has he died for you? Has he been resurrected for you? I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. We're going to sing just, just by way of benediction. If you've got questions about anything we've talked about, I'd love to talk to you about that. This is just going to be our benediction. We're going to sing this song together. It's a song focuses on hope. and Christ is our hope. As we live, he's our hope. As we die, he's our hope. And that's all made possible, but not just because of the, the death of Christ, but because of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing together. And this is our benediction. And as we're finished singing... Uh, You're going to be, if you have children in the back, we're going to ask you to go get your kids, and and, uh, we hope to get to speak to every one of you uh, today before you leave. But we're so glad you came. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you are good to us in every way. Every good gift we have comes from you. The air we breathe, the health we have, our finances, the blessings of life, Lord, it all comes from you. And we're so thankful. We're so blessed. We're so wealthy, and it's all because of you. And, Father, we acknowledge that we're sinners, and we, we deserve your worst, but yet you've given us your best in Christ. Father, everything above hell is a privilege to each and every one of us. And, Father, there's so many here in this room that bowed the knee to Jesus, and they've repented and believed. And because of that, they have hope and they have joy. And we're thankful for that, for all the testimonies represented in this room. But, Father, maybe there's some here who we're believers and we, we love you and we've yielded to you and we've repented and believed. But, Father, we're um, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, we've been uh, living our own life. And that, that commitment, that surrender that we once had yielded to you. Father, we, we haven't, haven't been living that way. Lord, we've been doing our own thing, living life like we want to be living under our own rules. giving your word, little thought. Father, may you convict Christians' hearts today. Father, may they experience a fresh and anew the risen Christ, and may they have the joy of their salvation returned to them even today. And Father, for those who are lost, who are here that's yet to bow the need of Christ, the resurrection has no effect of them. Father, I pray that you would open their spiritual eyes to see their need for you, that they're depraved and sinners, living in rebellion against You. And I pray that You would allow them to see the glory of Christ and how wonderful He is and the sacrifice He made. Father, may they be saved and be changed even today. Do Your work, Father, even as we sing this song and as we dismiss. May You allow the sweet gospel message that Jesus died for sinners and on the third day He He rose from the grave. And, and all who, who want to partake in your mercy and grace and know you intimately. Father, they have to come bow, yielded to Christ. Father, I pray that you would allow that to ring loud in in the ears of those who've yet to repent. Maybe it be a child. Maybe it be a student. Maybe it be an adult. Maybe it be an older adult, someone who's heard the gospel many, many times. Father, may you do a work and save sinners even today. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Whether we live, we have hope as we walk on this earth, this sin-filled earth, we have hope despite our struggles. But Father, even in death, we have hope because of what Christ has done, not only in his death, but in his resurrection. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.